For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Hey there, dudes and dudettes. Time to wax up your boards and go catch the big wave over at the LPN Beach Beach, Blanket blanket, Bingo. Bingo. One night only at the Balboa Theater in San Diego, October 20th. Come and check out all of the cool cats and the crazy dogs at LPN. Every show in the entire network, each one pulsating and grinding in front of you for your entertainment pleasure. We're all going to catch the big kahuna. And I'm talking about that big greasy guy. I'm talking about a wave. Ew, it's seaweed. It's seaweed. Just so you know, it's going to be inside of a theater. So any physical wetness you experience is your own personal body heat or the sweat of one of the performers. Come and check it out. I'm certain if there's a podcast flavor you need on your tongue, we got the spoon for it. Beach Blanket Bingo, baby. Come on, girls, let's dance! There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Come to my fucking house, and we're not going to fucking party. You come to my fucking house, and we're not going to play fucking baseball. Oh, we have to hear this fucking song, man. This fucking song, man. You have to listen to the lyrics, man. Man, the things about a fucking song, the things about a fucking mixtape that I love about a fucking mixtape is that I can put the songs in any fucking order that I want to fucking put them into. Because, man, when you buy an album, when you buy a fucking album, they put the songs in the fucking order that they want you to listen to the mix. Fucking bands, they show up. God, I'm just right. This whole script makes me paranoid. Just the script, like, like I, you know, when you have one of those dreams. I don't know if you've ever had one of those dreams where you're like, truly either watching a crime being committed. I've had this happen, or you feel like I had a horrible dream where I watched my father kill a man right with his bare hands. Right, fun, good way to start. See him get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy, you're doing so well. Um, But you know, like when you wake up and you're like, just thank Christ that's not real. Like thank Christ that was just a an anxiety ridden. Like oh, yeah. scenario, my brain Every just night. immersed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it's nice to read this script, and it's one of those where like, thank Christ, none of these are me. Absolutely not. None of them are any of us. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. I'm Marcus Parks. I'm here with Henry Zabrowski and sitting in for Ben Kissel. We got Ed Larson. How you doing? What's going on? Did I ever ever tell you about the time I went to jail and I had this dream when I was in jail that uh aliens had taken over the world. 
And alien, and the only way you could tell they were an alien is if they bled red or they or they bled green. If they were green, they're an alien. You had to kill them. Yeah. But ever they looked like humans. They looked like us. You okay. know. And yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah. around with my friend Tucci. Sure, sure, sure. And we're going around. We're trying to find out who's an alien, who's not. We go to her mom's house. She's acting all weird. We shoot her in the head. She bleeds red. <laughs> Jesus you know? And I wake up in jail and I'm like, thank God. I'm so glad he's on the show. Just to remind you, uh, Mr. Kissel is taking some time away from the show to take care of his mental and physical health. And we that's why we got old bear sitting in. Because honestly, in terms of displacing water, yes. you're pretty close. Oh my God, I love salmon. <laughs> <laughs> but He's people know there. me as a piggy boy. Yeah, I know. Of course. I prefer you as an orangutan man. Yes. Well, not according to the fans of last podcast when I get harassed in the streets and they call me pig man and oink at me. Hey, <laughs> hey again, that's our street team. Okay. How dare you come at our street team? So this episode, we are on to John Holmes and the Wonderland Murders Part 2. Dose. Yes. So when we last left John Holmes, his freebase cocaine addiction had reached legendary heights. I feel like it doesn't take much to get to legendary heights when you're doing freebase and cocaine. Well, he taught his penis how to use a lighter. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> it's like, look, no hands. As a result, he got himself caught up in the drug dealing game as a delivery boy for a group of murderous heroin addicts called the Wonderland Gang. So named because they lived at 8763 Wonderland Avenue. I actually drove up there a couple of nights ago, the house is demolished oh, and is completely it? replaced. It's yeah. been redone. Because yeah. honestly, it was a dog shit house. Did it get dirty? Because <laughs> <laughs> that was honestly one of the worst parts. I mean, when I was watching the crime scene walkthrough, I watched all like, you know, when they, they show all the bodies. One of the worst things of the whole thing was the fixtures in the home. And I was just like, Bad molding. Where is, where is Jojo here? Where is Magnolia Farms in this? But no, it's a very creepy, narrow street to drive up there to Wonderland Avenue, right off of Laurel Canyon. It's up in the windy Hollywood Hills. It even felt strange. Like, I know that it's now very, very nice and very posh, but you still feel feel this like creeping sensation like something bad can happen up here it's also just weird because it's a bunch of mansions and shit and it's just like this creepy apartment building in the middle middle of all of that it's oh, yeah. very strange have you ever spent time in Mulholland Drive at night you should go I did a whole David Lynch like experience to myself. You should try it. It's freaky. I actually like driving around the Hollywood Hills alone at night. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't walk. No. Don't <laughs> don't walk. But the Wonderland gang wasn't John's only source for cocaine. He also fed his addiction through a lunatic nightclub owner and hard drugs dealer named Eddie Nash, who was, again, brilliantly and by all accounts, perfectly interpreted by Alfred Molina in Boogie Nights. Eddie Nash is a murder fist character come <laughs> to life. You know, we, I, I can't, you know, we, we cover so many different stories within true crime. And, you know, like one of my favorite things is like that hidden kind of characters and all of the Mishigash. And Eddie Nash is one of my favorites of all of them. Because strangely, he's, he's a son of an immigrant. He's an immigrant himself. He's yeah. out here working hard. Yeah. And a lot of this is really about him expressing the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> now, Eddie was a Palestinian immigrant whose real name was Adele Garib Nasrallah. And he'd arrived in Los Angeles in 1951 at the age of 22. As many do, he tried his hand at acting, but earned only a small role on a TV Western called The Cisco Kid that had very few gunfights, 
but lots of bull whips. Hey, come here, fucker. Come here, fucker. Let me look at that screen. Let me look at that screen. I don't fucking understand. Why am I over here and I'm small in there? Why the fuck? Why the living fuck am I over here and I'm this size, but I'm small over there? Well, you'll like this, Henry. As a consequence of his time on the Cisco Kid, which was very whip heavy because it was a show for kids, Eddie Nash himself developed his own obsession with whips. Fuck yeah, man. Right, well, you got to train. Yeah, it's the only weapon you could bring to your mother's house and she thinks it's a belt. <laughs> <laughs> but after Eddie's acting career petered out, he opened a wildly popular hot dog stand on Hollywood Boulevard called Beef's Chuck. Yeah, dude. Mm, oh, yeah. Straight, yeah. Straight into the hot dog <laughs> business. Oh, my God. Just, do you think he put, like, beef on top of the hot dogs? No, man. I don't know why he called it Beef's Chuck. Yeah, like, but, maybe just a like, ground beef on top, like, chili, maybe chili dogs. You've oh, got man. to put beef in the name of the fucking restaurant <laughs> or they will think this is some kind of turkey fucking bullshit. <laughs> because I also think that hot dogs, like, would you say health-wise, I think hot dogs do just about the same amount of damage as cocaine. So it's like he started in the illicit substance in, in, in like yeah. industry, and now he really graduated. God, I, I just fucking I mention hot dogs once to the two of you, and mm. it immediately goes to mm. yeah. like it immediately goes to you, you guys just fucking fantasizing about hot dogs. I had a hot dog at the movie theater yeah last night. Disgusting. Oh. That's actually quite disgusting. <laughs> you know what I've also realized when people talk about you know like calamari, they're all like you know actually a lot of times it's like pig asshole. Sure. Right? I what if it just turns out we as a country, love pig assholes. <laughs> and that's mean, just what it is. We yeah. just like it. Yeah. That's a lot of pig assholes. I, I consu I've consumed an entire bag of frozen calamari before. Yeah, yeah. but what about the, what, it's got the little legs. I love all of it. <laughs> What's that? That's so, the only one that's they can't. That's not a pig asshole. No, that's, I want to say that's like, that's like the bottom of a pig's fucking pussy. That's how you know it's real. If it's got no <laughs> tiny legs. That's how you then know. Then it's pig asshole. Yes. <laughs> Well, by the mid-70s, Adele Nasrallah had become Eddie Nash, and he'd made enough on hot dogs and various other murky sources that he started buying real estate across Los Angeles. And he soon turned that real estate into a string of nightclubs that catered to all types. Got a fucking disco? I've got a roller bakery? <laughs> it's fucking incredible. Eddie had a strip club called the Kit Kat. A bus stop joint across the street from Man's Chinese Theater named the Seven Seas. Cool. The first gay club in L.A. to allow same-sex dancing. And a jazz club. So in, he somehow, awesome. he crimed his way into being woke. Yeah. <laughs> like, he somehow understood. At the he, he saw the gap and he shot it. He did. And he also, it's just interesting because now we, when we've covered other serial killers especially, that are in like homosexual communities that go out to the, like it's this part of like having to keep everything under the guise of literally a mobster had to own it yeah. or to be open is part of the reason why a lot of those crimes happened and they were under prosecuted. Yeah. But interestingly, Eddie also owned a club on Santa Monica Boulevard that is incredibly important to the Los Angeles punk scene and the hair metal craze of the 80s. This venue was called the Starwood. And it also operated as a Quaalude Depot. Ooh, that makes sense. Man, <laughs> welcome <laughs> to the Depot. <laughs> yeah. It's an away from home depot. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, Quaalude Depot is sounds incredible. I do know that we like we couldn't find them for Wolf. No one could find them. No, no, oh. Quaaludes don't exist anymore. No, that's proof that they don't exist. Yes, 
Well, the Starwood was one of the only two places in the late 70s that would host punk shows. And in addition to launching the careers of punk legends like the Screamers, X, and the Circle Jerks, this was also where Quiet Riot, Motley Crue, and Van Halen got their start. That's crazy. So this is like your hot dog stand. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually, yeah, listen to our series on the Screamers on No Dogs in Space. We go fully into the Starwood and like all the weird shit that happened at that place. Now, did they have an acoustic album? The Screamers? (laughs) 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 They actually have no album at all. They never, they're the most legendary band to never record an album. All we have is, all we have is demos and live performances. It's actually one of the greatest tragedies of uh, 20th century music that no Screamers album exists. That's such a Marcus music opinion that he loves music that does not exist. It's so hipster no. that it literally does not materially exist. It exists. It exists in the form of demos, and they did a couple of videos, but it does. They never went into the studio and recorded an album. It's like my favorite cryptid is Black Santa. <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> But perhaps because the Starwood was the least respectable of Eddie's clubs, he used it to sell quaaludes by hiding in plain sight. See, when cops drove by the Starwood and saw people lining up at the box office, they assumed that they were just lining up to buy concert tickets. It's fucking genius. It's It's really really smart. It's really fucking smart. (laughs) The kids were lining up to buy ludes out of a cash box that held thousands of pills. God damn. All out in the open. How did this place stay open? Because... (laughs) I, we'll find out why. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's because the cops didn't really look into the Starwood all that closely. Mm-hmm. Because as one cop put it, the relationship between the LAPD and Eddie Nash was, quote unquote, never antagonistic. It was never antagonistic. They didn't <laughs> say it was good. They didn't say it was bad. They just said it was never antagonistic. This is during a time period of, not that we're not continuing to be, but if high corruption mm. in the LAPD. Yes. The LAPD yeah. has been has been thoroughly, you know, we it comes up quite a bit on our show. Yes. So they seem to be, uh, they're not great all the time at yeah. being police officers. Again, I will talk with an NYPD cop before I talk, before I fuck with an LAPD cop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll no, agree with that. They'll leave you out in the middle of nowhere. There's so yes. many places to leave you here. Oh, yeah. York, <laughs> it's, it's every, all the space is taken. 45 <laughs> minutes from here is inhabitable desert. <laughs> <laughs> Well, by the early 70s, Eddie Nash was considered by some to be a sort of godfather of Hollywood. And by the time John Holmes came around, Nash was rumored to have connections to both politicians and the police force. Possibly because he allegedly had important people on his side, Eddie Nash could be reckless and therefore absolutely terrifying. Yeah, he's fucking... Uh, he's a, How do you put it? He's a bit much. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot. Extra. He's He's extra. Too lit. (laughs) Besides owning the clubs, Nash was also a major coke and heroin dealer who got high on his own supply. Mm. Nash freebased two to three ounces of cocaine every day. I really though? Like that's a lot. That's like each one's like a cupcake's worth of flour. Well, that's the thing. With a, a an ounce of cocaine, you get like Four hits of freebase off that. That's crazy. It's not. It's not much at all. Because okay. you're just fucking. You're cooking it down to a crystal. And then when you cook that crystal, it's fucking poof. It like as I said in the last episode, it's the least cost-effective way to do cocaine. Yes, it's very just, willy-nilly. It's very willy-nilly. It's yeah. very unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he would sometimes mix the high with heroin to take the edge off because okay. freebase cocaine is pretty fucking intense. 
But perhaps because Eddie often left himself so vulnerable in a state of intoxication, he was never seen without his bodyguard, Gregory Diles. He really, Eddie Nash is such a funny character because in many ways, yeah, total, unrepentant, mobster, drug dealer, crazy person, murderer probably. We'll get to all that. I mean, who knows? At least director of murder. But he also was like, he really needed his friends. <laughs> he was just this guy who loved his friends and he loved everybody in this other perverse, really crazy way. And I think it's probably because if you look at, I did not understand that freebasing, it only lasts for like 20 to 30 minutes at a time. Yeah. Mm. And so like, he's going up and down. He had to do heroin in order to go to the bank. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, his bodyguard, Gregory Diles, he was a 300-pound karate expert convicted felon. Yeah, man. Who yeah. One, he once chased a man out of one of Nash's clubs at 2.30 in the afternoon across six lanes of traffic on Santa Monica Boulevard. Then he pulled out his thirty eight and emptied the fucking gun into the guy's car. You know, wow. some people, they go to work because they need money. B, I go to work. Because I love it. <laughs> this is my life, my career. I chase him down. God damn it. It's incredible. I'm surprised he was able to get his finger in the trigger. <laughs> actually, we're going to get into how his media appendages actually cause problems later on. It's great. They always do. <laughs> but because Eddie Nash apparently contained multitudes, he did have a soft side. If someone he knew was in a real jam, meaning not a drug jam... Eddie would help them out with all the generosity in the world. But if you fucked with Eddie, you were more often than not as good as dead. I gave you a fucking favor, man. <laughs> I, 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 you know, let's put it this way. I feel like he did this as almost a system of control. Mm, of course. In many ways. That's, that's what all mobsters and drug dealers do. They don't do anything for you ever. Yeah, why don't you let me help you out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, how, that's what, it was kind of funny because I learned that lesson as a little boy because there was mafia on my block. And I remember just like, now I understand it was all just, I can't really believe that like, this was kind of just a, the ecosystem of the neighborhood. Because mm -hmm. my cop father and my mother would also say, you're like, you know, those mafia guys, they're crazy, absolutely. But you know what? As long as you don't own them money, as long as you just don't get involved in business, Kind of nice, and you're yeah, like because they build playgrounds and shit. Yes, yeah. but it was then you find out like no, that's not true. No, 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 not no, no. Nice. It's all yeah. bad. Yeah. Did you ever like run errands for them? Yeah, I told you this story. I told yeah. you about how they used to give me like I used to go across the street. They used to give me a little bag, and they were like, take this over there. And then I'd come back it was this little corner store, and I'd come back, and they had a soda machine. And then I thought it was so impressive that they put on the soda it was free, and they'd click the thing, and the free soda would come out. And I was just so spelled like, man, it's incredible. But yeah, yeah I was a mule. They yeah. were crime grooming you. Yeah. Like yeah. You, if you would have kept going, you would have ended up just fucking right. Like eventually once you was trusted, life well, would have no, gone I, a different way. But I never would have been made because I'm not fully Italian. Ah. Uh, yeah. But they would have loved to take advantage of a cop's son. Oh, nothing would make them happier. Yeah. yeah. Well, as it went, <laughs> Eddie Nash's friends were just as dangerous as Eddie. Reportedly, he was friends with the godfather of the Israeli mafia. He had been linked to the death and dismemberment of two Israeli nationals at the Bonaventure Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. According to the police, the bodies were dismembered in one of the rooms and removed from the hotel in a large suitcase and a garment bag 
both of which had been purchased in the lobby. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely not kosher. <laughs> We're going to throw out these plates, too. <laughs> Parts of the victims, including a woman's head, were subsequently found in four dumpsters Right around here in Sherman Oaks. That's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> All of this history is right around us. I yeah. love when things take place where I am. Yeah, it's like we're in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> now, Eddie Nash had become such a coked up weirdo by the time John Holmes came on the scene that he hardly ever left his ranch house located in a cul-de-sac at the bottom of the hill that separates Hollywood from the San Fernando Valley. Great. This house was located not five minutes from 8763 Wonderland Avenue. And to kind of even kind of set the scene a little bit, is that these types of homes, LA homes are, are interesting because they are, they look kind of like ranch style. But yeah. I find that a lot of like LA homes sort of like expand on the inside. Like when yeah. you get in, to the like, back. especially in this neighborhood, yeah. like it looks like a small house when you arrive and then you open up the door and actually kind of goes back into sort of a long, like kind of sprawling thing. And you can kind of see how, you know, this is the beginnings of a of a great place for a, a literal mythical monster mm -hmm. to live inside of. Yeah, because you can really fortify them really well. Oh, yeah, because you got one entry point. Mm -hmm. Eddie's body had also taken such a beating from years of drug abuse and its consequences that by this time, one of his lungs had been removed. He was missing part of a sinus cavity because of, you know, excessive cocaine use. Get out of go. <laughs> and, Sorry, it was I had to turn it to an HOV lane. <laughs> and he had a steel plate in his head for God knows what reason. To protect my fucking brain from clouds. <laughs> Guys, I'm sick of having this conversation. Let's listen to Jesse's girl. <laughs> But along with Eddie's other eccentricities was a habit for collecting rare and expensive objects. Located within his home was a huge collection of jade, ivory, crystal, and silver. In addition, he owned an original Rembrandt, and most of his furniture was of the highly expensive Baroque antique variety. And crystal ain't worth shit. It's not. It's glass. <laughs> it's glass. Why, are, why is crystal... Still a thing. Oh my god! When I tried yeah. to sell my mom Schwartzkies, you should have seen the looks I got. Oh really? yeah, no one like, gave a fuck. You bring all of your mother's <laughs> precious memories to a man to sell, being like, "Listen, I, I'm selling all this. We're trying to get her a gravestone, and we could possibly have some take one of these glass owls." And he's just like, "One look at it." Dog shit. <laughs> Throws it in the trash can. His two quarters, you know, like bounces it off your tits. Thank you. you no, know, I don't know how Swar Swarovski's a fucking scam. It's a scam. And the whole get, fucking place needs to be taken down. They've had it too good for too long. And you can fucking email me, sidestorieslpotl at gmail.com, Mr. Swarovski. You're trying to take us down with the season. Uh, we were at the mall together. They're opening the new Swarovski store. Which, why a brand Who is new for? Who is this? <laughs> <laughs> a new store? I you don't know, know. You know what? I think when we went to fucking Disneyland over the break, there were uh, fucking Swarovskis like, in downtown Disney. Yeah. On the way into Disneyland. It's for Mimus and Papus. Uh, yes. It's to be like, I brought you. It's easy. I bring. I bring. You know what I mean? Like you bring it. It's something you leave at a tombstone. <laughs> I could always tell when my dad wanted the casino because there was a new Schwartzki in the curio cabinet. And that was literally, each one was an I'm sorry. 
<laughs> well, that, but that is all to say that Eddie Nash had a pretty nice house. I'm sure. Or at least great. it looked nice. It and, looked like a the old lady's house. It looked like a very dangerous grandma's house. Yes. With a bunch of firecrackers hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> and this was, of course, a great contrast to the absolute scum bucket of a house that contained the Wonderland gang. But entering Eddie's home would no doubt have given you the same sense of danger. The only difference was that Eddie Nash was just a little classier even though he was still out of his fucking mind. Yeah. Most of the time, true to Molina's portrayal, Eddie wore a maroon silk robe and bikini briefs. Soon. And That's he, me. I can't. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> yes. And he was almost constantly sweating from the drugs that were running through his system from the moment he was awake until the moment he passed out days later. It's time for my long Christmas nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I've been awake since Halloween. <laughs> Nash was also the type of guy who want you to do drugs with him as soon as you walk in. Asking anyone who came by if they wanted a free base cocaine from what we'd now call a crack or a meth pipe. He called this playing baseball. Come on, buddy. Hell hey, yeah. you want to play baseball? You want to go smoke some golf? <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy, have you ever played inside basketball? Come on, let's go. Because you know what it is about Eddie, too, is that, which we kind of understand, you know what it is? Is that like, he just wanted you to have a good time. This is yeah. what he likes, and so you must like it too. You, you yeah. could, because he can't like freebasing cocaine as much as he wants to, unless you're also freebasing cocaine. Yeah, because you can then all talk about literally the structures of snowflakes again together <laughs> for hours and hours. I also think he was um maybe in a sort of drug dealer, maybe not conscious but unconscious way of telling if someone is a cop or not. Maybe. Because I do think that, because uh, we will, again, push back. Let me know. If anybody's worked for any sort of narc unit, I would love to know. Side stories, I mean, lpotlgmail.com. Undercover cops definitely do drugs. Oh, yes, yeah, they do. They but, I, but I don't know if they do something that extreme. I know yeah. that they'll do a bump or they'll do something else to like when take they a hit. save their fucking life. Yeah, yeah I don't much. know. But I feel like freebasing cocaine is a step too far for a lot of police officers. It's pretty big. Yeah. Do you think he had something nicer than just tinfoil? Like, do you think like he had like a, like a metal sheet or something? He had a bit, it was a big uh, glass ball at the end of a small uh, pipe, you know, the small tube, the small it, glass tube. It was uh, a crack pipe. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. Fancy light bulb. Yeah. Fancy light bulb. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he had the butane lighter, you know, before butane lighters could be bought at head shops. You mm -hmm. know, I'm sure he had a special order from somebody. Yeah. Home but Depot. He had it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Home Depot was around back then. <laughs> no, I think he had to fucking find that shit. Yeah. Was, is it weird? I feel like drug paraphernalia in many ways was both harder and easier to get during this time period. Yeah. Because they had a lot of open cocaine merch. Yeah. They had the cocaine spoons. You had the Coke spoon you could wear. Mm -hmm. Like in the movie, I remember again, during Wolf, we all had those things, but they called bullets. Mm -hmm. There was yeah. like a little like portable cocaine administrator that you could bring with you that you like, you basically like flipped it over, tuck off the top, hit the bump, and then you put it back in and it keeps your little cocaine in yeah. it all the time. Had, or they had a little button on the bottom that would push it up and yeah. you just and you'd lift it that way. Yeah, and by the time we got of age, we had to deal with using our keys in a shitty bathroom yep. in Brooklyn. Listening right. to the fucking stripes. What is it called? <laughs> the strokes, the, the monks, the, the rivers. All of them. <laughs> but after taking a hit, from Eddie's free base pipe, you might be invited to partake in one of Eddie's favorite pastimes, Russian roulette. That is also real, dude. <laughs> Mao. Mao. 
<laughs> Although partaking usually meant you just watched Eddie do it to himself while all of you were out of your fucking minds high. In many ways. Well, yeah, I'm glad it's not you. You should be glad it's not you, but that's kind of almost worse. Uh. You can do a bunch of drugs and you just watch the guy who owns uh. the house and he's just being like, la, 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 la. He's like skipping around the house and yeah. you click. And then he does the... You should see your fucking faces, man. You guys are all fucking freaked out. That's what's so incredible about that the Eddie Nash part in Boogie Nights, Alfred. Like, because they distill everything that is Eddie Nash into like six minutes. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like, should I do it? Should I do should it? I do it? Should I do it? Ah! And then everyone, no, 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 no. And then he fucking, and then he just moves on to the next thing. You he's fucking just like, guys. Because he's like laughing at them. Like, you guys are all fucking scared and shit. That's hilarious. He's a showman. He was, <laughs> you come to com- Eddie's house, you get a show. He's kind of a, he's a comedian. There's fireworks, there's yeah. gunplay, there's whips. Eddie, however, would involve new guests in a game that they didn't even know they were playing. When a new girl, guy, or whoever was brought to Eddie's place, he'd sometimes make them go to a room and sit on a couch. Before them, strewn across a coffee table, were literal piles of cocaine and jewelry in addition to large wads of cash. In front of them was a large mirror. That mirror was, of course, two-way. Here you go. I'm going to leave you with my kids. (laughs) I'm going to go powder my nose. (laughs) Once the new guest was sat down, Eddie would watch from the other side of the glass for hours, (laughs) waiting to see what they took, if anything. And that was his way of assessing the guest. You know, but thankfully, like, there was no penalty if you took anything. You were just asked to leave. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Hey, buddy. That's fucking rude. <laughs> I mean, before he shuts the door, just be like, you mind if I get some coke? You know, like, <laughs> like, just ask. I passed the test. <laughs> Live from your grave. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text and that helps you save time i know i'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse picks now part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts now so what i've done to do is like so while i'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, as far as how Eddie and John Holmes hooked up, they met at one of Nash's nightclubs, the Seven Seas, which is now a souvenir shop called the Hollywoodland Experience, located across the street from Man's Chinese Theater. I bought an Oscar, Best Piggy. 
<laughs> is that real? <laughs> no, 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 no. Did you actually keep up? But they have all the Oscars there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Best grandpa, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. This best best piggy Net merch. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs> well, as the story goes, John was at the Seven Seas to obtain information on a porno shoot in San Francisco from someone that one of our sources, the Devil and John Holmes, called the Lavender Hill Mob. Hmm. Now, the only Lavender Hill Mob we could find was a gay activist group from the mid '80s. Did a lot of good work. So I think the writer was just trying to distastefully and kind of cheekily suggest that John was there to meet a gay porn producer. He very mel. I yeah. Yeah, no, get yeah. John Holmes did a lot of gay well, porn. That's how oh, yeah. they used to describe it. Like back in like uh was it the Maltese Falcon when mm-hmm. Peter Lorre played that gay character. They couldn't call him gay, but they always said he smelled like lavender. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That right, was right. code. Yeah. yeah. But either and the Lavender Hill mob was also a movie from the forties. It was a all kinds of lavender going yeah. around. But yeah, that is to say he was definitely there for a gay porn. Uh, but either Whereas my way, mom used to say, happy and lighthearted. <laughs> but either way, the producer never showed up. But while John was waiting, he was recognized by Eddie Nash, who was, of course, a big fan of John's work. You're the cock guy! <laughs> That's the cock guy! Oh my God, it's the fucking cock guy! Oh my God! Let me just ask, let me ask. How are your balls? <laughs> Come on, everyone asks about the cock. <laughs> Not to step on any toes. <laughs> Naturally, Eddie liked showing off John at his clubs, and Eddie also supplied John with free cocaine in exchange for introductions to porn actresses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes John would even pimp out his underage girlfriend, Dawn, to Eddie, telling him that Dawn was his niece from Oregon. Ooh. She's in town. He would say... Doesn't make it better. No. No, no God, no. <laughs> but he would... Bo- because John had this weird thing where... If only Eddie was like, actually, that makes some sense. Yeah, <laughs> of course it would. Yeah, niece from Oregon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, he'd tell, he would tell Eddie Nash that Don was like, yeah, she's in nursing school. She's visiting here from Oregon. Yeah, you can have her. Uh, but at the same time... John would also talk to Eddie Nash about his, like, my precious Don, my precious Don. So there, there was a weird disconnect in John Holmes's brain when yeah. it came to Don and pimping her out, essentially. Not essentially. Yes. Explicitly. Explicitly, explicitly pimping, pimping her, out. her out. He pimped her out to a multitude, to mul- multiple people. She's like one of the few people in his life that was actually good to him. She was the well, only person. Well, I mean, they good were- Good to him. She his was his hostage. Wife. She was his hostage, and yeah. his yeah. first wife took care of him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he, no, At- he's- John Holmes is not a nice guy. Yeah. No, At this off. time, she's like 17. Yeah. Yeah. Now, John Holmes would later refer to Eddie Nash as evil incarnate again and again. But he also said that he and Nash called each other. They were brothers. Oh, you know, sure. Always sure, brothers. Sure, sure. That's what happens with doing when you do hours and hours of freebasing with each other. You get overly familiar. Yes. Yeah. It's a, the, again, the scene in Boogie Nights with Heather Graham and Julianne Moore in the room doing cocaine together for hours upon hours. And they're like, let's go for a walk. I don't want to leave this room. I don't either. <laughs> like, yeah. it's that shit. Yeah. You know? But the thing is about John Holmes and Eddie Nash is it seemed like John Holmes was Eddie Nash's friend just so long as Nash's psychotic behavior didn't splash over to John. Sure. Now, since yeah, t- of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're just, yeah, he had kind of a fun idea of a friend. Yeah. For a second. Yeah, for a bit. But it ain't, in reality, not in the long very term. Very bad. <laughs> Now, since John Holmes was close with both the Wonderland gang and Eddie Nash, he began working as a middleman between the two dealers. This, of course, was the connection that set the events in motion that would result in the Wonderland massacre. But this is what we talked about last week. Do you remember the theme of this entire series is that freebasing cocaine for days and days and years on end will eventually affect your decision making 
process. It will. <laughs> <laughs> like this is an because you can't. This is not a sober idea. No, you don't really think things through. Yeah. yeah. Like, see, when it came to purchasing drugs, Eddie would take most anything valuable in exchange for cocaine or heroin. He would take gold, jewelry, guns, whatever. And as it happened, the Wonderland gang had just come into possession of three extremely valuable and unique antique handguns valued at $75,000. That's $75,000 in 1981 money. Yeah, but this is not shit you could take to like a normal like fencing operation. This is like a, this is an antique roadshow shit. This is like Smithsonian shit. This is auction shit. And, yeah. that, and that's what Eddie knew. He knew that these guns were so unique that if he even tried to resell them, if the cops caught wind, they're coming straight for Eddie Nash and his whole fucking operation falls apart. Yeah. But at this point, the Wonderland gang was critically low on heroin. They therefore pushed John to make a plea to Eddie because Eddie had a soft spot for John Holmes. Nash agreed to hold the guns. He kind of did a favor for Mm -hmm. John. No, never. It's (laughs) never a favor. I mean, it's too late at this point. Yes, yes. He agreed to hold the guns (laughs) and some gold for seven days while advancing the Wonderland gang $1,000 for heroin so they could sell the heroin to make money to buy more heroin. That is the Nigerian prince scam. (laughs) (laughs) That is the same thing. Being like, you don't worry. That's that's as good as money. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as I'm sure all you listeners are right now, John Holmes was somewhat confused by this nonsensical (laughs) deal. Uh, But from what I can tell, it seems like it's kind of a pawn shop situation, right? It's like, you know, Eddie holds onto the guns as collateral. And then once the Wonderland gang pays back the grand after they sell the heroin, then they get the guns back. Ed, do you feel like when you were... Because you did light weed stuff and business. I, I, I sold weed in, in Tallahassee, Florida. Everyone went to jail already. We could talk about it. Now, did you, <laughs> did you ever barter? Barter? No, but like you'd get in situations where like people would give you weed or whatever and they would want you to, like, they want you to be in debt to them. Oh, sure. Because yeah. that's when they can really milk it and they can fucking bring up how much you owe. And they want to give it to a junkie who's going to do it because then they could just milk the guy for all of time. Oh, and so it's just like, it's it's a good thing. It's good business to do that, you know? <laughs> well, actually, Eddie did not want to really do it because he didn't no. want to get in a business with heroin addicts. That was his rule. Is that okay. he, didn't, he didn't want to get in a business with heroin addicts because heroin addicts could kill you, you know for, what it the, is? for a fix. He's like literally on, on a fucking roof, like uh. dangling back and forth, playing basketball on the uh. rim of the building, just being like, the thing about heroin addicts is that, honestly, they're unreliable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the one guy we had to deal with that was unreliable, he was also Del Coke, and he would often try to pay for his weed and Coke and be like, no, we don't need that much Coke. We need the money. (laughs) The Coke is not healthy. (laughs) But I was the only one that could actually get a good deal out of this guy because his name name was X, so I think that's Mm -hmm. what I'm allowed to say. And uh, X used to deal... He used to be the weed guy for George Clinton. Oh, wow. And then he got mad because I gave the whole P-Funk guy's a better price. And so they left X and they like, you know, he started coming to me. And then one time he was being really shady, like pretending to be George's son and shit. Oh. And uh, yeah, just, he was trying to, he was being real super shady. So I was like, Hey, you know, like this is my gun. You know, and then you started doing sketch comedy. <laughs> yeah. In the middle of all of this. Yeah. In the middle of wow. <laughs> the middle, that's how I met you. Fuckers. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. You were my weed dealer first, <laughs> then roommate, then, you, and then comedy park. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you, you, you show him the gun, you unload it, you hand it to him, be like, look, this is my gun. And then whenever he comes over, whenever you get the shady guys coming over, you, 
you like put the weed in a different place. Like oh, you, right. you keep it in your underwear drawer. When he comes over, you pull it out from, you know, the fridge. Of course. You yeah. know, stuff like that. You know, but uh, it's, it's, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> no matter what. It's a, for all that shit, it's never if you get caught, it's when. Oh, of course. Yeah, you of know, course. and like we were doing great and we were doing better than anyone in Tallahassee, but it all came crashing down. Of course. In a very more, much more friendly way than this. <laughs> but I could see where, you know, when you're dealing with like large sums of money and crazy people, like you never, any, any Nash types you stay away from. Very yes. much so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Never get to the top dog. Yeah. No, I mean, Eddie Nash wasn't even close to the top dog. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He was still even just a minor boss and all of this fucking shit. Yeah, that was just his his fun time. Yeah. He, was, he was a busy, he was a business owner. Yeah. yeah. I mean, multiple businesses. I mean, really like drug dealing was like his hobby. Yeah. That's yeah. what he did for the passion. Yeah. He now, probably washed a lot of money for a lot of people with oh, all those oh, businesses, yeah. especially yeah. with that punk rock venue. I mean, like, I bet it made on the books, like, I bet it made like $100,000 a month. I bet. You yeah, know, it like, had to have. Yeah. <laughs> it had to have. Now, of course, the whole guns for cash for heroin and then getting the, selling the heroin and giving the cash back, that's not at all what happened. Yeah. Instead of selling the heroin, the Wonderland gang did the heroin. Oh, fuck. And once... <laughs> ah! <laughs> and once that was gone, they started robbing people to continue feeding their habit little by little, saving none of the money for Eddie Nash. Now, days turned into weeks with no repayment. God, I and just feel a, the tension. Just feel it. But that's the thing is that none of it came from Eddie Nash. No, I know. Like, yeah. He, like, forgot. <laughs> He'd forgotten about $1,000 means nothing to him. Nothing. Like, nothing at all. That's an hour of coke. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and in a drug-fueled chain of conversation, the Wonderland gang convinced themselves that Eddie Nash had sold their guns and was keeping all the cash. Like they had somehow created a situation in which they were the wronged ones. They yes. were the victims. Here. Always. Now, John Holmes communicated the Wonderland gang's anger back to Eddie. But Eddie Nash wasn't worried. He didn't care about any of it. He didn't care about the threats. He said, they don't even know where I live. Unless, of course... You were to tell them where I live, John. This is where John Holmes enters into his professional snitch stage. Mm -hmm. Well, he'd snitched before, right? Yeah, he'd oh. yeah, he'd been snitching for a while, but this is when he turned I would the say, big leagues. <laughs> yeah, the big leagues. Yeah. Mur the, when it's snitching turns to murdering. Yeah. 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 And as you may have already guessed, that's exactly what happened. Now, there's some debate as to why John Holmes gave up Eddie Nash's location to the Wonderland gang. But according to one source, John had taken a cocaine delivery for himself and freebased it. <laughs> Fucking good Lord. Yeah. I mean, I just. What is he? What did you think was going to happen? Have a coffee. <laughs> is there yeah. a coffee? Some Tylenol? I don't know, man. I know it did only last for a period of time, but yeah. it's like because, you know, it's all like. You're doing it and it feels good for a second. You're like, ah, and then that that feeling. Like I've even thinking about this is like it puts a pit in my stomach. Yeah. Of like, it's all gone. The the cocaine you were just about to bring, and then the 15 minutes of you being high is over. And then that, that feeling of just, oh no. Yeah. What the what do I do now? And then you just constant scramble for it. Well, this caused a problem with Wonderland gang members Billy Deverell and Ronnie Lanius, who were, if you'll remember, both murderers and desperate drug addicts. Yeah, they're just as crazy. His home team is just as crazy as the other guy he's running all this for. Yeah, mm -hmm. but one has a yacht and the other one's got a rowboat. Exactly. 
<laughs> well, after beating John as a precursor to something much worse, Ronnie told John that he had to, quote unquote, make this right. And John, being the coward that he was, immediately thought about his friend, Eddie Nash, the Wonderland Gang's increasing vendetta, and all the valuables contained within Eddie's house. Oh, no, 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 no. Should have been the last thought. <laughs> I would have been like, small business loan. Um, we do a GoFundMe. Uh, yeah, but you John- know, like, some part of him was like thinking maybe Eddie would just fucking kill these people. Too, you know, you know like, what? That's actually, I bet you at some I point. I hadn't thought like, about that, but yeah. Dude, maybe I'll just feed him to this guy. I'll feed him to Eddie. Yeah. Eddie, will, Eddie will make sure work of these guys. You yeah. know, like you can't beat Eddie, you know. But on the other hand, John also needed the money because he'd already, he just made that documentary exhausted and he hadn't paid the editors yet. And unless he paid the editors, <laughs> it's that fucking scene. And we're like, we can't get, we need the tapes to take to the record company so we can get the deal. And then we'll come back and we'll pay you for the tapes, but we can't pay for the tapes until we get the record deal. God, I, am, I am sweating. This whole thing is like, it's so fucking nerve wracking. So John agreed to give up Eddie Nash's location under the condition that he would get a cut and nobody would get hurt. And so on the evening of June 28th, 1981, the Wonderland gang gathered around their breakfast nook to study blueprints of Eddie Nash's house that John either procured from the city or drew up himself from memory. Like they're fucking Ocean's Eleven. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and guess he drew him up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Let me see if I remember. See if I remember. Okay, I know there's a door. And I know there's a couch. And I know there's a lot of cocaine. And I know that there's a... Like, you could just see them all just kind of going back and forth and just being like... You know what we need? It's, it's We need a small guy yeah. that can fit in the tiny elevator. <laughs> what are you talking about, buddy? <laughs> By this point, John had extensive knowledge of not only the layout of the house itself, but where all of Eddie Nash's valuables and weapons were stored. Namely, they were in the goddamn safe in the goddamn bedroom. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Good Thomas Jane. But if you'll remember, whatever happened to him? He says the little things here. Okay. He's kind of, a, apparently he's a jerk. Oh, who oh, yeah. would have figured? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you'll remember, Eddie Nash also had a massive karate expert bodyguard around uh, him at all times. Yeah. Gregory Dials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, while Dials wasn't always armed, he did keep a sawed off shotgun in his bedroom at Nash's place. He lived there. Of he course. Was always around. Yeah. But to make up for the presence of Gregory Dials, the Wonderland gang added another guy to the crew. An ex-con named David Lind was going to be the one with the gun covering Eddie and Dials while Ronnie and Billy would ransack the house. You see, again, try not to, we don't want to help the audience commit crimes. But if you are going to, like let's say you, if you want to do a big mass heist. Yeah. Um, my thing I would say is use other people that have just as much to lose as you that aren't brand new. Yeah. Don't bring in just some extra guy. Well, they knew him. You know, like, yeah, they knew him. But let's just say, like, I, I still feel like he was extra. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, who are you going to use? John? You can't? <sighs> I guess you can. I guess. Just use a chick. Yeah. Bring a dog. <laughs> Honestly, that would help. <laughs> now, the first plan that the Wonderland gang came up with was to send John to the front door. Then once Nash's door was open... The Wonderland gang would just bum rush oh, and yeah. take control immediately. Classic. Oh, so your plan was 
Get him. Get him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, of course, fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. And, would, and, yes. and would likely end in a shootout with multiple fatalities. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, John suggested that he go over there to party and unlock the back door so the gang could take Nash by surprise in the early morning hours. This was the plan agreed upon. So John was sent to Eddie's house that night at midnight. They're like, fuck it. We got the plan. We're doing it right now. They gave him $400 to buy drugs. And then John smoked those drugs at Nash's place over the following six hours. And I really feel like he should have been sitting in meditation, mm-hmm. thinking about what he needed to do here, centering himself, taking some time for John. Mm-hmm. But instead, I can't believe how un- irresponsible he's being the night before the heist. Yeah. Yeah. Doing drugs. Doing drugs. You never do the drugs at the dealer's house. You do the dealer's drugs at the dealer's house, and you take your drugs that you bought and you do them at home. Eddie Nash was a little bit smarter than that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was d- a drug restaurant. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's what you do the first, I don't know, two dozen times. Yeah. You come yeah, yeah. to Eddie's house. And then after that, Eddie starts to get wise to your game. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he just kicked people in and out. You yeah. Eventually, you were not allowed to come in. You'd be able to party for a while, but that's also what was kind of weird about it. And then he was oddly. Not forgiving, but he was oddly just being like what we said before. He wouldn't just immediately shoot you in the head. Yeah. Which is kind of nice. Yeah. And I hung out with a Coke dealer once, like who, uh, like it, there's a, even just hanging out with that guy, like there was a limit where like we went over to his place. Yeah. We started doing Coke. And then at one point he was like, hey guys, just got to be honest with you. Uh, you got to start paying now. Yeah. Uh, he's like, <laughs> he's like, we can keep hanging out. I love, he's like, I like hanging out with you guys. Y'all are fun. But like, you got to start paying for your cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Like, okay. And we did. That's yeah. called fiscal yeah. responsibility. And that was the last time I ever did cocaine. Oh. Why? Because it was going to start causing money, costing you money. That was <laughs> that was also my cocaine rule. I'm not paying for it. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's a good rule. That's a good rule. No, I paid for it that night. It was just such a weird scuzzy, scummy night. And it oh, wasn't yeah. even like in New York. Like it was in Lubbock. Yeah. Like it was such a fucking weird, scummy, scuzzy, awful, awful night. Uh, that after that, I was like, you know what? I don't need to be in this scene no more. Man. I'm just so glad. It's so crazy what you like will just end up in with, with drugs. You know, like yeah. in Tallahassee, I had to deal with this guy named Zeely, and uh, he was selling coke. We go over to his house. He throws two fucking phone books on the floor and then shoots them. <laughs> You're just like, That's you, you live game. on the second floor. Yeah, yeah, that was his game. He was having fun. He was trying to relax. <laughs> now, John claimed that he felt a bit of remorse over the plan while he was partying with Eddie Nash that night. And he claimed that he tried warning Eddie that the Wonderland gang was coming for him. But since Eddie was on day 10, by John's estimate, of a no-sleep binge, he didn't really process what John was telling him. He he wanted Eddie to kill these motherfuckers. Or he did never... Or he never said anything. That's true. We are listening. This is all recanting from him. I forget that this all probably lies. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Everything from John Holmes's mouth is is probably a lie because he is. I just think that how we'll, you know, we'll we'll deeper unpack it. Yeah. And so when all the coke that John had bought was smoked out of existence, John excused himself to go to the bathroom. But instead, he unlocked the sliding glass door in the back bedroom. What if his body was in the bathroom? but his cock unlocked the door. <laughs> just sne- like just snake around uh, being like, why is my door covered in piss? <laughs> Go, Go. Second. Go. Be swift now. Go. Fly, you well, John left just as the sun was coming up and arrived back at the Wonderland house to tell the gang, 
It's fucking time to go, boys. Problem was, though, the Wonderland gang was heroin addicts. Ah. So they'd spend all night doing heroin, mm. and they'd all nod it off. Wrong drug. It took John two hours to wake them up. But once they did rise and shine, <sighs> they sent John back to Eddie's house to make sure that the back door was still unlocked, following behind him in a shitty Ford Granada that was supposed to be the getaway car. And so after John snuck around to the back to confirm that the door was still unlocked, he yelled, quote, It's time! Go get him, boys. Jesus. Yep. <laughs> that is anything. Like, bark like a dog. <laughs> Do anything. Like fucking like. <laughs> it's time to rob Eddie Nash now. <laughs> and that's him. That's what he said he did. Yeah. It's time. <laughs> soon after, the gang entered the house and found Eddie and his bodyguard, Gregory Dials, in the living room. They're just, they're in love. Gregory Dials and Eddie Nash were like in love with each other in I, many ways. I think they had a very comfortable domestic situation. Yeah, yeah. they were like, basically <laughs> like kind of a married couple. Gregory Dials would like make him breakfast and shit, and they yeah. would like hang out and they'd eat on the veranda and have a nice time. And it's he's like, like living with a friendly karate bear. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it is, Gregory? There's just something about your gut that comforts me. I just love being near you. And god damn it, if you weren't my wife, I'd treat you like one. <laughs> I describe him as more like a nurse who's willing to kill. <laughs> God, yeah. I wish. That's all I want. Well, unfortunately for Dials, though, when the Wonderland gang rushed in, he was carrying a little tray that I didn't say what was on the tray. It was either like drugs or like it might have been Eddie's breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, it was that he had nice stuff, like a yeah. nice, like, like silver oh, platter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, like a little flower and a vase on it and a waffle <laughs> with smiley face drawn on fucking cocaine on it. Just being like, that's how he likes it. A nice, friendly waffle. <laughs> Eddie, wake up, Eddie. <laughs> well, Eddie was, of course, caught unawares on his couch wearing only blue bikini briefs. Ugh. That's my father's entire uniform for my entire childhood. Wow. And I remember how many times he had to be told, especially if my sister's friends were coming over, they had to put pants on. Yep. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Oddly <laughs> enough, <laughs> my father only also only wore underwear, but we just let him do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Oddly enough, the Wonderland gang entered pretending to be the police, flashing a stolen San Francisco police badge while shouting, Freeze, police! You're under arrest! Yo, hold it right there! Man. No, hold it. Hey, there. Ignore my track marks. I'm a cop. Police officer, no uniform here. <laughs> that really didn't seem all that necessary because David Lind, the new guy in the group, he was holding a massively imposing 357 Magnum. Get it, that goddamn <laughs> Goddamn boot. <laughs> Now, Nash was brought to his knees immediately, while Dolls was made to lay on the floor so he could be handcuffed. He was so massive, however, that they couldn't get the handcuffs there to fit. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Too this, fat to arrest. God, I love this. this what a hero. <laughs> this comedy of errors continued when Billy Deverell went to help, but tripped and fell into David Lind. And David Lind, who probably didn't have the best trigger discipline, accidentally fired the gun. Jesus. Oh, jeez. Now, the bodyguard wasn't technically shot. But the 357 was held close enough to his body, and the discharge was so powerful that it caused powder burns that were deep enough to cause bleeding. Yeah. He's been like, I'm shot, boss. Mm -hmm. I'm shot, boss. And he has to, like, you're all just total insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, though, the gang got the handcuffs over the meaty wrists of Gregory Dials. Then they threw a rug over his head so he couldn't see what was happening. <laughs> 
I don't know why. I don't know why that like so he could like why did he's, Quick, he's get the rug, <laughs> throw it over his head. He's already in right, handcuffs. Next. In many ways, in many many ways, bodyguards are like canaries. If we just put it, listen to me. Listen, this isn't the heroin. He will go to sleep. See, I fucking knew they'd use his one weapon against him. With the bodyguard out of the picture, they took Nash to his bedroom and told him that they wanted the goddamn code to the goddamn safe. Now, Nash refused at first, but when the barrel of the gun was forced into his mouth, he fucking broke. He started sobbing and he told him immediately what oh, yeah. the code was. Oh, yeah. Now, for a bunch of drug addicts, the hall contained in the safe was incredible. Inside were two massive Ziploc bags of cocaine, wow. a ton of jewelry, mm-hmm. a right. pile of cash, and thousands of quaaludes in a cash box that was no doubt bound for the Starwood box office. Oh. You know, if I saw that amount and I was about to rob somebody, I feel like just the amount alone would be like, oh, no. Yeah. Like, this is, this might be too much. But you've already started. <laughs> it's you just, it's, already, just, it's already going. Like, here's some advice to our listeners. If you find yourself in this scenario, leave half. Leave half? Just leave some. You think so? I say just move to Cleveland. Well, (laughs) Cleveland, they're going to find you. He's going to find you no matter what. So I'd say leave half. And maybe you won't be as mad. It doesn't, no. You still die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still die. They're already dead at this point. Yeah, you just take it. Yeah. Further searching the house, they found a laboratory vial full of heroin in Eddie's dresser, Gregory's shotgun in his bedroom, and of course the antique guns that had started this fucking mess in the first place. Uh. Don't you talk my fucking muskets! (laughs) (laughs) Still not happy though, Ronnie Lanius, who, if you'll remember, had 30 possible unsolved homicides under his belt when he died, he held a hunting knife to Gregory's throat demanding to know where the rest of the heroin was. But even as Ronnie began to draw blood, Gregory refused to tell him, possibly because there was no more fucking heroin. Yeah. Or a rug over his head. <laughs> <laughs> you take the rug off my head, I'll tell everything you want to know. <laughs> it's a trick. It's a trick. <laughs> it was at this point, though, that the rest of them told Ronnie that they had more than enough. So they escaped to their shitty Ford Granada, which took them back to the Wonderland house. Five minutes away. Uh, Five minutes phew. away. <laughs> Job done. Yeah. Base. I'm back at base. Let's start our day. <laughs> the whole thing was over and done with by 10 a.m. And of course, John Holmes was waiting back at the Wonderland house, almost giddy with excitement to see what the hall was and therefore how big his cut was going to be. See, the agreement beforehand was that the three guys who went in to pull off the robbery would take 25% each, while John and the driver would split the last quarter. Pretty standard for a robbery. Predictably, though, the Wonderland gang ignored John when Uh. they returned and walked right past him to the back bedroom to take stock of the loot. This had, of course, been a last-minute change to the plan, because between the house and the getaway car the three robbers decided to short both John and the getaway driver. Classless. Uh, (laughs) Utterly. Where's the respect? Where's the respect for the game? Is this a goddamn, it's a blunder squad. Like, these guys are all, I mean, the one relief that we have about this whole grisly scene is that all of these guys are unrepentant moron criminals. Oh, like this is one of these, the, I just the constant fuckery between each other. It's, it's, it's so funny. Even John Holmes would even like believe that they would all be cool. Like all this, like, like he's yeah. le- he, there's an inability to kind of learn here. 
Yeah. To kind of absorb a lesson. There really is. And that's the thing is that nobody. Street basing cocaine. Yeah. I think it's, it's really hurting a, a lot of the b- being present in the moment. Yeah. yeah. You kind of skip through all the uh, the dotted I's yes. and cross the T's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you brought Strokes guy. <laughs> well, nobody at Wonderland liked or respected John anymore. Like, I mean, he'd gone from being a hip porn star in the beginning. Then he was just a big dick party trick. John, show him your dick. And by the time of the robbery, he was seen as a pathetic thief and a drug addict who'd sell at his friend at the first sign of trouble. I mean, he just did. He, he did. just did yeah. it with Eddie Nash. It, he, he's it's all he's ever done. He's going to do it to you. Yes. That's yeah. the thing. And all, they'd come away with eight pounds of cocaine. Eight pounds. 5,000 quaaludes. A kilo of China white heroin. $10,000 in cash. And jewelry worth $150,000. Jesus Good fucking Lord. Christ. And out of all that, they gave John Holmes... $3,000 and a little pinky ring. And he would know either way. Well, he no, wouldn't he even knew. know. Yeah. He knew. He but, was like, he said, he said, there's way, there was way more at Eddie Nash's house than that. And when he complained, they punched him in the stomach and beat him with a walking right. stick. As they, as he deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as he deserved. Do you think that it's possible they could have beat him with his own penis? <laughs> I actually think Eddie will do that later on. No. <laughs> Fly from your grave. Now, Eddie Nash didn't immediately figure out that John Holmes had been the facilitator in the robbery. Since John had been the middleman between Nash and the Wonderland gang, Eddie didn't know what the Wonderland gang looked like. So he didn't even know that it was the Wonderland Look gang. Look for long hair, <laughs> shitty, dumb shoes, bad shirts. I don't fucking know. <laughs> He'd probably also forgotten that John had told him just a few hours earlier that the Wonderland gang was coming for him. But that's if John actually did mention it as he claims he did. That shows that he didn't. Because I really do believe that Eddie Nash would remember distinctly that he was told that the Wonderland gang was coming for him. I feel like like after all it was happened, he'd wake up and be like, oh, yeah, Yeah. that's right. But you're also on so much drugs. You just think it's like the fucking walrus that eats all the oysters and the Tweedledee and Tweedledum. I'm not dealing with these fucking card people. You mean to tell me there's walking playing cards out there? I hate gambling. Two days later, though, I mean, this is just the dumbest shit. This is the fucking dumbest shit. John Holmes ran into Gregory Dials at the liquor store. Immediately, Dials noticed that John was wearing one of Eddie Nash's very distinctive stolen rings. It's probably had like it's probably like an E and an N and diamonds <laughs> on it. <laughs> it didn't take him but a second to put two and two together. It's yeah. just boom, bam, there it is. Okay. And from the liquor store, Gregory Dials walked into Eddie Nash's house, dragging John Holmes by his stupid white boy afro in the midst of a party. And since Eddie was known to kill anyone who crossed him, John figured that this was his last night alive. God, just bring it into this house. You open up this house, you're like, this is it. He he was he made it. Oh, of course. He yeah. was fine. He yeah. was fine. He, why wear the ring? Why wear the ring? Because, well, let's just say, I don't think it was going to be for long. I don't yeah. think he was going to be fine for very long because you know, there's many theories of what went down in this last couple of this little section of yeah. John Holmes' life. And I think uh, we'll get. Yeah. Well, this party, it wasn't up to Eddie's usual standards because he just had eight pounds of Coke stolen from him. Sorry, guys. We had a bit of a supply line issue today. You mm. know, like he's talking like it's the beginning of COVID. Yeah. So he hired an illusionist. Yeah. <laughs> 
Or just shooting at his feet. Quit fucking lying to me. <laughs> In other words, everyone was agitated while they were waiting for more coke to show up. Eddie'd send out a couple of cronies. And then the man responsible for the agitation just got literally dragged in the door. Damn. One of those agitated people, though, interestingly enough, was a man named Scott Thorson. Thorson was the live-in lover of Liberace and had been so since he was a teenager. As it was described, Thorson, who was nicknamed Booper by Liberace, was the famous singer's lover, pet, and son. Matt all Damon. All rolled into one. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yes. yes Matt it, Damon in the movie. Because Liberace was famously in the closet. Because uh, that was like, because my mom, I always remember, it was like, because uh, Barry Manilow was very similar. Wherever Liberace was always kind of painted as a man who just loved his mother. And yes. he loved his mother so much that, you know, he could never have room in his life for a wife. And I remember my mom talking about Barry Manilow. She's like, you know what it is about Barry Manilow? Is that he, he's the bachelor. <laughs> and he writes these love songs because it's just so hard for him to just find a woman to settle down. Because how could he choose? You know? <laughs> when did your mama have these conversations with you? Over and over again. She this is her as we listen to Barry Manilow. She's like, you know, Barry Manilow, he needs a wife. <laughs> you can hear it in his songs. Yeah. You know, it's just, just pontific. She was in love with him. Yeah, yeah. my mom was Johnny Mathis woman. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, but Johnny Mathis was, yeah, he was, he's a, he was a strapping guy. Yeah, he's a yeah. strapping guy. Liberace, the only guy who was in the closet and the closet out of chandelier. Very good <laughs> Thank you. material. It's great material. Great material. Very good. It's unusable, but except for in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By 1981, Liberace and Thorson's relationship had gone beyond the realm of the bazaar. See, a few years earlier, Liberace had ordered Thorson to get cosmetic surgery because Liberace was aging, and Liberace wanted to preserve his own face on Thorson's face. I've been trying to get Natalie to let me do this procedure to Wendy. <laughs> Just to, again, because I am aging. Let's yeah. face facts, all right? I, yeah. I went and I got a facial for the first time. I've never had one of those before. And the woman, it's first thing she came down, she's smushing my fucking meat around, and she's like, I can't help but notice you to see you're losing elasticity. And I was like, I'm gonna fucking snap. If you want to literally, yes, you're right. I am gonna snap. Uh, and then it's true though. But yeah, so one day, Wendy, you'll look like me. Mm, that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, you know, also comforting. Yep. <laughs> shaving her. <laughs> Completely shaving it. No, what are you talking about? You're hairy. You're... <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, in order to get this procedure to put Liberace's face on his face, Thorson had to lose 30 pounds, so a crooked doctor prescribed Thorson a cocktail of drugs that included pharmaceutical cocaine. The procedure was kind of a success, but Thorson was left hopelessly addicted as a result. And as it just so happened, when the bodyguard burst into Nash's house with Holmes, Eddie was in the bedroom freebasing with Scott Thorson. Have you guys met Liberace's pet? <laughs> <laughs> well, by the time Nash exited his room, Holmes had been sat down in a chair to await his fate. Now, Eddie Nash alternated between screaming and sobbing. You're fucking me up here, man. You're just fucking me up. I just, I trusted you, my friend. I love you. I, I fucking will kill you. It's a great party. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and this is and this is all in the middle of a party. It's in a party. This is in the middle of a party. Yeah. And Nash was so out of control that he pulled out his own 357 and he smacked John in the mouth with a barrel. He busted his lip. Hmm. Searching John's pockets, Nash then found John's pocket address book and began flipping through pages and naming John's family members, threatening to hunt down and kill Every single one of them. I just need to find out how much it takes to build a fucking crucifix. I will. Yo, this Nana? (laughs) Is this Aunt fucking Nancy? (laughs) (laughs) Just like, God, I could just, I could feel. Just ripping pages out, just like, dead, dead, dead. dead. Very fucking intense. No, he really was like, yeah, who's this? In Montana? Dead. This woman in Utah? Oh, that's your fucking mother? Dead. Like, it's wow. fucking incredible. <laughs> a lot of pressure. But and that's but that's like the movie scene. Yeah. This is when it gets weird. He started like manically making phone calls to like old friends, business associates, even ex-girlfriends. He's switching from English to French to Arabic. He's telling everyone that he's holding the king of pornography, John Holmes, captive at his house. <laughs> and Nash was telling people, like, Holmes, fuck me over. If you want to come see the show. Swing on by. Whoa. He's here. Now, John claims that for 14 hours, Eddie, Gregory, and even more bodyguards tortured him in a room just off the entryway as his hands were bound by electrical tape and blood poured out of his mouth. I love this whole scene because it's just out of the movie society. (laughs) (laughs) By John's estimate, 60 to 70 people paraded by as all this was happening, and not a one of them, even the people he knew, waved hello. <laughs> okay. No one said hi? No one said hi. No one said hello. How you doing? Oh, John? John, hello. Hello. Hi. Nash, got your tongue? <laughs> Here, however, is where things get murky. John, of course, gave up the Wonderland gang. But after the torture was over, John claimed that Eddie gave him a direct order to return to Wonderland Avenue, saying, quote, Bring me their eyeballs in a bag. That's a pretty good line. That's pretty good. If John accomplished this, Eddie said, all would be forgiven. It's okay. It's okay. That's it. That's all you gotta do. That's all you gotta do. That, however, is not what John told his wife, Sharon. That's what John said in his autobiography. Now, Sharon hadn't seen John for about three months by this point. But at 3.30 a.m. on July 2nd, the night of the Wonderland murders, John Holmes showed up on her doorstep with his clothes ripped and his entire body covered in blood. Now, John claimed at first that he'd been in a car accident. But when Sharon tried administering first aid, because if you'll remember, she was a nurse, she found that he had no cuts or abrasions. This also refutes John's story that he was tortured. It was more of like a theoretical car accident. You know what I mean? A (laughs) philosophical car accident. Most likely, John gave up the Wonderland before he and Dallas even left the fucking liquor store. I can, this is our theory, is that when he saw Dials and Dials was like, is that Eddie's ring? He's like, the Wonderland gang is at eight six seven three. You know what I mean? They just immediately do and they're like yeah. they're right there. Honestly, I bet you they're asleep right now. Yeah. And then they went back to the house and then he was just I imagine that uh I do think that some of the scene with Eddie Nash like did happen. I do think like him ranting and raving, there yeah. being a bunch of people there, but Scott Scott Thorson technically backs it up, right? Yeah, Scott was, Thorson does pa- back that up at least. Yeah, oh, so okay. they, he did go there, but the idea of a 
a parade of torturers that the only way that John Holmes's will could ever have been bent to ever. How could he possibly snitch on his best friends? Those are my friends, my compatriots, my comrades. No. Also, pistol whip by a 357, a skinny guy like that, he's out. It's, it's right it's there. Done. It's like right getting there. hit with yeah, a police yeah, yeah. baton. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's done right there. Yeah. Well, as Sharon later told it, John told her that he told Nash where the Wonderland gang lived and how to get there. Oh, he just, yeah. told, he just told her. I'll yeah. drive you. I'll drive you. Yeah. Right down the street. <laughs> Five minutes. You wouldn't believe how fast we got to back to our house after robbing you. Honestly, <laughs> take a bike. <laughs> Nash then sent John with three men over to the Wonderland house to get revenge and retrieve Eddie's loot. According to John... As one of Eddie's guys held a gun to John's head to make him watch, the other two made sure that the revenge murders were as brutal as possible by beating all but one person in the Wonderland house to death with steel pipes. Mm. The only one who survived did so only by the grace of God and still had such severe brain damage that she could never testify as to what happened that night. It, that whole scene, if you go, like, not to, you know, it's it's really fucked up. Yeah. But if you watch, there's a whole walkthrough of the crime scene. These guys got, like, this is, it's, it's more horrifying. than a hit. It's more, it's it's absolute. It's a message. It's utter revenge. To everybody. Yes. To the entire city. Yes. yes. Yeah. The Wonderland gang had been so thoroughly beaten that the steel pipes threading had been imprinted on their skin and even on their bones. Damn. On their bones! <laughs> on their bones! Their faces were completely unrecognizable and their heads had been bashed in with such fury that chunks of brain were stuck to the ceiling. There was so much blood that homicide detectives later described it as appearing as if someone had taken buckets of the stuff and thrown it all over the walls and carpets. The only evidence linking the crime to anyone was, of course, a bloody palm print left by... John Holmes Jesus wow. fucking Christ. in the room where Ronnie Lanius' body was found. Hey, look at this, De- Detective Martinez. I see this kind of line in the carpet here. I'm pretty certain. That's a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> Holmes, however, told an entirely different story in no his way. autobiography. No way. He said that Eddie Nash forced him to return to the Wonderland house after the murders to set him up mm-hmm. for the massacre. Oh, yeah. yeah. John claimed that he did what he was told and walked through the crime scene. And indeed, his account of the crime scene in his autobiography is incredibly graphic. He said that a trail of blood led from the door to the master bedroom. And John claimed that when he walked in, a long shape was twisted in the sheets. The body was intact but the head was split open and the face was pulverized into a mush. Goddamn. Based on the clothes and hair, John recognized that the body belonged to Ronnie Lanius. My best friend. <laughs> my Ronnie. That was my Ronnie. We'll never find out if he killed those 30 people. <laughs> I can't believe he committed suicide like this. <laughs> John then walked up the stairs where he found the owner of the home, Joy Miller, lying on the ground in the house coat she always wore. This was the only thing that identified her because her face, as John put it, looked like it had gone through a shredder. As far as Billy Deverell went, it appeared to John as if his brains had literally exploded. That's how hard he'd been hit. 
Nothing remained of anyone's head. This is how John wrote it. Yeah. He said everyone's head was just slime. God damn. damn. He estimated everyone had been struck 40 to 50 times, but I don't know what forensics John Holmes is pulling on to to bring, to come to that number. I actually believe him in this situation because he's not creative enough to like give him a metaphor. Yeah, Yeah, he really is. Yeah. He didn't get a creative fiction like doctorate. So you think it was uh, Giles that did this? Probably. Uh, uh, Dials. Dials. Yeah. 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 You're thinking of Jay Giles. Giles band. Yes. Yeah, oh, he always man. is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most likely, yeah. Most likely it was Gregory Dials and like two other guys. Because yeah, Nash, had guys, Nash had guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, also, I wonder if like Gregory, I don't want you to get your hands dirty in all this. Right? <laughs> You're my friend. They put a rug over my head. I know. <laughs> I know, okay? But you're my very, very mean butler, best friend, and husband. Okay, so we need to hold our we need to hold this together. Yeah. Uh and it's also Henry brought up this possibility too, is that it's possible that they may have made John Holmes kill one of these guys or at least bash him in the face a few times. My theory is that at one point, because he had a bloody handprint on a bed, right? And what it looked like was that they he was bracing himself to probably strike something. It was yeah. like literally it was a weight bearing thing. He was over a bed over one of the victims. So I think that what Ronnie they probably about this Ronnie Alanius, I think that what they did was that at some point they were like, Now you're gonna take a swing. They're yeah. probably all already dead. Yeah. Like and they and he's like, Now you're gonna do it. So now you directly are involved in this. Or yeah. they just grabbed his fucking hand and put it in the blood and put it on the wall and said, We're leaving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To frame you with the literally being like, We're gonna put this all on fucking you. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. gonna make it look like you were a serial killer and that you you fucking had a free basin breakdown, then you killed all of your buddies in a scheme of your own. Yep. Now, it was an open secret amongst the LAPD vice squad that John Holmes was running drugs for the Wonderland gang. But if you'll remember, John was protected because he'd been an informant for the pornography squad. Even after the murders, though, John's contact was still reluctant to give him up, even though it had been years since he'd provided any information. It soon became obvious, however that John was no longer the high-rolling snitch that he once was. And see, the bodies were found by, like, a work... I mean, of course, it's a guy who's coming to mow the lawn. These poor you know? guys. Yeah. It's, like, it's always that. It's, it's always a jogger. A yeah. It's always somebody who, like, you were like, who's literally getting too old for this shit. Yeah. That shouldn't have to be pulled into one last traumatic crime scene <laughs> for the rest of their lives. Yeah, he just looked in the window and saw a bunch of dead bodies and a bunch of blood. They're trying and they're trying to figure out, okay, like what connections do we have? Like, okay, this is the Wonderland gang and one of them's like, "So, I think I know a guy who runs drugs for these people." And that person ended up being John Holmes. Oh, yeah. So his contact tracked him down and handed him over to the two detectives in charge of what was now being called the four on the floor murders. Oh, God. These cops fucking love this shit. Bob Sousa and Tom Lang. They love this fucking it's shit. It's so uncreative. And the four on the floor murders. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, you no. walk in, there's four people on the floor. And, come yeah. on. <laughs> well, these are, I believe these are the same cops that wrote, let me make sure, Malice in Wonderland uh, that were just so, they just, didn't one of them work with Furman? Am I wrong? Uh, Tom Lang. Tom Lang. Yeah. Tom, so Tom he worked Lang. on this and OJ. Yeah. Tom Lang was, yeah, one of the biggest detectives in the OJ case. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, what's this spot? Tom Lang. That's fucking crazy. How, how nuts is that, man? That's like, so, what a horrible. <laughs> you can't solve shit. And, well, you <laughs> can't do anything. Well, these guys are so too. This whole book, Malice in Wonderland, is all just like, you know, again, it's the same guys that were like, 
It's called Malice in Wonderland, yeah. which is reflecting on Alice in Wonderland mm -hmm. because also the name Wonderland. And it's all about how <laughs> things were unfair. They were unfairly treated and how, like, you know, the city. It's, that's the problem. The city held our hands and yeah. we couldn't do our job because all we wanted to do was bust heads. Yeah, of course. <laughs> now, all this had occurred just before Independence Day and right before the murders landed in their laps. Of course, these two horrible detectives, they joked, it's like, probably going to be a fucking triple axe murder in the Hollywood Hills just to fuck up our fucking weekend. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And it did. Yeah. Fucked up their weekend oh, real good. bad. They were now in charge of the biggest L.A. homicide case since the Manson murders. This thing blew up. Of course. Now, once John was brought into custody, he said that he was ready to lay out every illegal connection he knew about in the entire pornography industry. I once met a guy from a bodega who was selling milk at $4 when it was supposed to be nationally priced at 2 What else do you need to know? What else can I, who else can I flip on? Is this pornography legal at this point? No, it's still. Uh, uh, and mm. Yeah, it is. It is legal. Yeah, yeah, it's legal at this point. It's, so it's got nothing. Well, no, it's, but it's still also like run by the mob yeah, in a lot yeah, of cases. Yeah, 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 like yeah. not not in every case, but like it's a lot of mob money uh, that's rolling through pornography. And he said the he, he had information on mafia connections, money laundering operations in New York, Chicago, Miami, mob related arsons. He said he knew of a former Chicago hitman who had retired to oversee porn productions in Los Angeles. Just for anybody who wasn't nailed down. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that Holmes refused to talk about, though, was the Wonderland massacre itself. And since everything else sounded like bullshit and there wasn't enough to charge John with the murders, they let him go. But as Detective Lang drove John to North Hollywood to pick up his impounded Malibu, Lang looked at him and asked him point blank, off the record, if Eddie Nash was the one who did it. And John just said, yeah, Nash did it. And he said so with such sincerity that Detective Lang believed him. Well, yeah, I feel like in the end they already knew. Yeah, yeah. they knew. They that knew. They, like they knew what's going on here, and could, and they, they were just they needed his words so they could go fucking get the search warrant and go figure out all the bullshit. Yeah, but it was one thing to say it to Lang, and another to say it on the record. Definitely another to say it to a grand jury, and definitely a different thing to testify to the fact at a trial. Oh yeah, John had no intention of sticking out his neck while Nash and his goons no doubt knew that John was talking to the police. But in what I think is the ballsiest move I think I've ever heard anyone make, John went back to Eddie's house what? immediately oh, yeah. after being arrested by the police to ask for $1,000. You know, it just takes... Dick's too big. <laughs> we brought this up last episode. Yeah. Dick's no. too fucking big. This is, this is like, big. there is no reason for this level of confidence. No. There is no fucking reason for him to think that he is remotely correct. This is, it's just like, and I guess it's the audacity, the straight audacity. They're all like, <laughs> you know, like literally, like, <laughs> you fucking just, it, it was so crazy. They were like, sure. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> kind of. Really? I mean, Gregory Dials, like, of course, immediately dropped down to his knees, put a gun to his head. Eddie asked, you know, why shouldn't I blow your fucking brains out right now for talking to the cops? But John bluffed. He said, somebody's like, I'm supposed to meet somebody. They know I'm here. I'm already late. If you kill me, they know that it's you who did it. And so fucking Eddie said, fine, come back in an hour and look in the fucking mailbox. So John came back in an hour and in the mailbox, 
five hundred bucks. Yeah, it's too nice. New, too nice. He's too nice <laughs> for old, for old time's sake. Yeah. You know, it's definitely it's definitely one of those things for old time's sake. He's and, a romantic, and that yeah. was. <laughs> I guess actually in many ways. Yeah. I do truly. Yes, he, he really is. I also wonder if there's like, he's now, it's too far for John. John's yeah. fucked. As yeah. far as Eddie's concerned, John's fucked. We planted him at the scene. Everybody knows. At this point, like, I'm actually fine. Because yeah. I'm only tangentially connected by you, a freebasing moron that is like talking to all these people. We're like, I am, I, I got here to this point of success in America by not being a fucking moron. Yeah. And I'm I'm faced with one. So yeah, I'll give you fucking $500 because I've already fucked you. Yeah. Like, this is already done. And not only that, but John was asking for this money so he could leave town. Sure. And, you know, for, you know, he's like, man, just, just give me the money. You'll never see me again. No one will ever see me again. I'll never testify. The cops will never find me. So on and so blah, forth. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And John used the money to skip the state of California with Don. Unfortunately, Don's still in the picture at this point. Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah buddy. Yeah. At, she, at this point, she had left and come back. Uh, it's a hell of a, it's a fucking horrible relationship. Yeah. But that immediately put John on the FBI's 10 most wanted list in regards to questioning over a quadruple homicide. Eventually, the cops tracked John to a shitty motel in Miami. And when he opened the door, he was still half pretending to be Johnny Wad. He said, quote, I've been expecting you. What a fucking Shit. asshole. To the cops? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. To the cops. Technically, that's what David Berkowitz said. Yeah. We oh, yeah. How did it take so long? What took you so long? What took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> now, John was tried for the Wonderland murders, but the only evidence against him was the bloody handprint above Ronnie's bed. They had to try to convict someone, and John was all they had. Oh, yeah. But all the bloody handprint proved was that John was at the scene of the murder either during or after the act. And that was actually the argument they made. It's like, yeah. He was there, but why aren't the real perpetrators here? Why isn't Eddie Nash here? Where John was there, yeah. And yeah, he made some mistakes. He's not the best person. I wouldn't be friends with John, <laughs> John Curtis, Curtis Holmes. <laughs> Neither would you. But does that make him a murderer? <laughs> I mean, that's well, a great just, public defender. I imagine it was a public defender. Uh, definitely a public defender. Um, yeah. It actually turned out, it's like for a long time, people were like, because we can't find the name of the guy. It turned out that the public defender was just his dick in a suit and he had a law book he put yeah. a little afro on him yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. just yeah. like his own little afro mm -hmm. it was fun yeah just always with an O face <laughs> oh, oh. and I too am surprised by these actions by John Holmes well based on this reasoning and the paltry amount of evidence Holmes was found not guilty but even, not guilty not guilty but even though his entire defense was Eddie Nash did it Holmes refused to testify before a grand jury to that fact because he believed that his life and the lives of his family members would be in danger if he did so. That's a credible belief. Yes. Yes. Eventually, though, Eddie Nash was arrested on drug charges. In fact, he had three raids upon his house every time. Turned up massive amounts of drugs, yeah. money, weapons, but Eddie was rich enough where he paid his bail yep. every time. God damn. What finally kept him in jail, though, were charges of racketeering, arson, and insurance fraud. Insurance fraud is where they definitely get you. That yeah. is where they get you. Always, yeah. always. Tax evasion. Do any of that. Do you think he made like an insurance claim on the raid? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a well, business asset. That's a business move. <laughs> During Eddie's drug trial, his lawyer actually tried claiming that the million dollars worth of coke in Eddie's house, it's not drug trafficking. 
That's for personal use. I have a problem. Okay, <laughs> this is a whole thing, man. This, you just you're just arriving here in a whole fucking thing, dude. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you hang out with him for a day, and you could be convinced. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh wow. He buys in bulk. Even during that trial, Eddie would sneak out to his car to freebase. Then he'd take some quaaludes to calm himself down, and then he'd go back to his trial. You know what it really is? It's, it's just, it's the rat race. <laughs> I am <laughs> sick of it. It's just the idea of going into court high on cocaine, and then, I guess, slowed down by a quaalude yeah. in the middle of all of this shit. I mean, just, I don't know. It's just altered. It's just yeah. where you can completely, I guess, ignore everything that's going on and just stare at the fucking table for the next six hours. Yes. Yeah, because you say anything, you're fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, so you have well. to kind of put yourself into an in-holding position. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mo that's they say most defendants are given tranquilizers during the trial, so they won't react to anything. Yeah. I want some fucking Xanax. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Eventually, Eddie Nash was sentenced to eight years in prison for the drug charges, the racketeering, arson, all that shit. But, it's not bad. But after just two, his sentence was reduced and he was released as time served because he had a sinus tumor that needed to be removed. As the judge put it, quote, I wouldn't want to be operated on in San Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's terrible. Eddie, I love you. <laughs> I need you to be doing well because, honestly, if you're not doing well, I'm not doing well. <laughs> Eddie Nash, however, completely turned his life around. Yeah. He never returned to crime. At least he wasn't caught for it. Yeah. Yeah. At least he said he was reformed. Yeah. He never, he was never caught again. Yeah. Uh, but he was also completely broke because his fortune had been wiped out by his daughter, of all people, who scammed him out of millions of dollars through this huge, I can't even get into it. It's a fucking massive scam all on its own. Uh, but Eddie eked out an existence for the time being. Wow. Oh, yeah. He, you know, it comes around. What yeah. happened to uh, Dials? Uh, Dials, we'll get to Dials in a second. Okay, cool. Sorry, I don't want to jump the gun. No, it's fine. <laughs> as far as Holmes went, though, he served 11 months on an earlier theft charge, plus 110 days for contempt for refusing to testify against Eddie Nash. The theft charge was he had stolen a computer typewriter worth $8,000, <laughs> and then a, a cop found it in his car, and he, and he told this. the cop that he found it in a dumpster. I yeah. just, this guy is a, uh, I just think he's not bright. No. Yeah. He didn't even probably know his computer. No. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> computer. <Yeah>. Computer. <laughs> well, John Holmes was finally released in the early 80s with $100 and a Volkswagen Beetle that was given to him by his lawyer. Now, that's a good lawyer. Yeah. John used that Beetle to drive directly to the home of one of his old porn producers, Bill Amerson. Bill Amerson was actually the guy on whom the character of Jack Horner in Boogie Nights was based on the character played by Burt Reynolds. Is that that big fat guy? Yeah, it's that big fat guy. It's that big fat yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, John had worked with Bill quite a bit since John's introduction into the porn business in 1969, but they'd of course fallen out when John's drug habit blew up everything. But in the years since John had completely dropped out of the business, Bill Amerson had formed a production company called John Holmes Productions without John's knowledge or consent because porn performers were paid day rates no matter how famous they were. They had no ownership over their work, their image, anything. And there, was, there was no big deals. No, 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 no. But in a scene reminiscent to the conclusion of Boogie Nights, Bill still had a room waiting for John Holmes in his own house no. and therefore brought him back into the industry. He should have just, oh God, he should just go buy a grocery store. Go, go someplace <laughs> yeah. else. Imagine trying to explain that to your wife. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm back in, baby. He's the, it's John again. He's like, yay. John. Yay, John. Great. Great. Yeah, and he's fresh off an acquittal on a murder charge. Yeah, incredible. And he's like sweating a lot and he's coughing a lot. And he doesn't look too good. Mm-hmm. Now, because the Wonderland murders have been such a big news story, John Holmes had officially become a mainstream celebrity. So he used his notoriety as fuel to power a comeback, right as the video cassette boom truly set pornography on the path to becoming a $12 billion industry. That's how much porn makes today. By 1983, John Holmes was actually sober. He stayed sober for the rest of his life, and he'd moved in with a 19-year-old porn actress named Misty Dawn, whom he'd met while filming a porno called Flesh Pond. Okay. Which I'm sure was of the fine fucker-in-the-ass variety. Yeah, yeah, from Boogie Nights. Yeah, eventually John and Misty would marry. Aww. Aww. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is remember our audience. You can find love. You can, you can find love. Now, it seemed like John's life was turning around, but in the mid-80s, John Holmes contracted HIV right when the disease was starting to become known to the mainstream media. Now, the company that John worked for had actually instituted a testing policy that everyone agreed to. This was actually much to the company's surprise because some porn actors at the time were refusing to be tested because they said it violated their civil rights. Good Lord. And as it was, even those who got tested used fake names. John Holmes, for example, tested under the name. Guess the name. Um, uh, Peter North. Yeah, I, that would be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it. That's how you, you Peter. Yeah, you know, I don't know. John Holmes is fine, but I heard that Peter maybe he should be giving this work to John Holmes. <laughs> no, Karl Marx. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. That's a guy with some rules. You know what's a good poor name, though? Honestly, George Washington. That's it. We need to get that back in. Yeah, George Washington. Yeah, oh, George Washington. Yeah. Remember how uh, you ever hear about Ricky Henderson, his fake name, whenever what? he would like check into a hotel because Ricky Henderson is very full of himself. Of course, a lot of yeah. cocaine, you know. Yeah. And he, he was, Always talks about himself in the third person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whenever he checked into a hotel, his fake name was Richard Pryor. That's very funny. <laughs> because he thought that no one knew who Richard Pryor was. Yeah, it's very <laughs> stupid. Uh, <laughs> Now, John tested negative the first time he took an HIV test, but he soon after started showing signs of infection. His ears began to bleed, which his doctor somehow blamed on John's years in the army. Yeah, it turns out he was always allergic to tanks. Mm -hmm. And his penis. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the problem, really. It's mortar. It's it's a mortar fever. And his penis uh, would break out into a rash and bleed. Oh. If he had sex long Jesus enough. Jesus fucking Christ. God. Finally, though, when everything in his body started falling apart, John tested again and came up positive, making John Holmes the first well-known person in the porn industry to be diagnosed with HIV. They say he was the first in the industry diagnosed with HIV, but I am sure he was not the first. There, he was just the first they knew about. Yeah, it was the first that didn't go missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he yes. was. they made him the first mm-hmm. for the story yeah. itself. Well, the porn industry did not yes. make him the first. Well, according to Holmes's widow, though, she believed that someone in the Secret Service injected John with an AIDS needle during a trip to Washington, D.C. on the direct orders of Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. in a bid to help destroy the porn industry from the inside out. Mm-hmm. You no. know, honestly, I would agree, but it, it wasn't Ronald. It was Nancy. <laughs> She's the one who does this. She's the one who had been doing that. Mm-hmm. She had access to the needles. Yes. Yeah. 
She made up AIDS. She invented it at the White House. Her, the CIA, John Kennedy, who didn't die. (laughs) But regardless, and arguably John's most cowardly move yet, his company released a statement that his bad health was caused by colon cancer. He kept performing in films with full knowledge that he had HIV. He made 12 more movies. I heard about this. Yeah, yeah. no, what a lunatic. What a, it's like really just like, the. it might be the worst thing he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. It's it's between that and trafficking the 15-year-old girl. Yes. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's between those two things. It's really just kind of neck and neck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the way he figured it, and he actually wrote this in his book as a defense. If his fellow performers didn't get AIDS from him, they were likely to get it from somebody else. That's, uh, yeah, that doesn't make any... Uh, well, he figured if he had it, then everybody had it's it. It's very nihilistic. It's, yes, yeah, it I, it's just but not it's real. Very, it's very selfish. It's, well, it's, yeah. just, it's just fucking justifying your own actions. But incredibly, to the best of my knowledge, maybe you know different, nobody in the industry contracted HIV from John Holmes. I don't know. I, I mean, come on. You just, I mean, nobody came forward yeah, at the yeah, very yeah. least. Yes. Yeah. No and, one came forward. No one has said that, that this was directly connected to it, but, it, but we he, don't know. And he did, I mean, he did have scenes with some, while he was uh, positive, he had some scenes with some very, he had scenes with Tracy Lords. Yeah. Very really? famous he, people. Yeah, yeah. Very, very famous people. Yeah. Man, that's so crazy. Now, do you think like, like, is it like, do you think he got it from, the gay porn? Did no, I mean, the straight I porn? No, I, who knows? Actually, no one knows. It's it's, no a knows. Very, it's kind of a mystery uh, as to where he got it. Um, but most likely, the, yeah, the gay porn. The private, just... the private life of John Holmes is probably where he got it. And yeah. do we really think he was sober at this point, too? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, by all accounts, but he his, was yeah, his wife said he was fine You know, yeah. you know, at that point. Yeah. But even more insane than that is the fact that the porn industry completely denied the cause of John's death from AIDS-related complications when it finally happened in a VA hospital in 1988. Yeah, see, it was such a dirty fucking business. They probably just disappeared you. Or, or you, you just HIV. or yeah. you walked away from it yourself. And they basically said, get the living fuck out of here. It's you know, it was a very cruel time for yeah. this. Yeah. But as John was laying on that deathbed, he was visited one last time by Detective Lang because Lang was still trying to get Eddie Nash for the Wonderland murders. See, Booper, Scott Thorson. <laughs> Love that name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Booper. He loved it. Booper, come here, Booper. <laughs> it's a, again, pet. I mean, yeah. he's a dog. Yeah. He's a little dog that looks like Liberace. Yeah. Since <laughs> terrifying. Is he still yes. around? Scott Thorson, I believe he has to be dead. I, I, I don't know. I think he might still. I feel like he has to say it was someone. 64 year young. Wow. Yep, he's still doing it. Yep. My dear God, Scott. he should go on tour. I go, well, he doesn't know how to play the piano. Get one of those ghost pianos. But I can definitely, <laughs> I, I can identify a piano. That's a piano. That's a conga drum. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Scott Thorson had made a deal with the police to testify in exchange for clemency on a drug charge. If you'll remember, Thorson was freebasing with Eddie Nash when Holmes was brought into to Nash's house by his hair. And Thorson claimed that Eddie's bodyguard, Gregory Diles, was sent to the Wonderland house with John Holmes to get revenge. In this scenario, John probably covered the Wonderland gang with the Magnum while Gregory Diles beat them to death one by one. Or Diles met more of Nash's men at the scene. Either way, Diles and Holmes went to Wonderland together. Okay. But of course, John refused to get involved even at the end of his life, Mm -hmm. and he died a month after Detective Lang's plea. 
Just before dying, though, John made one last request to his wife. Was it to get a priest to come and help me with my way to heaven? No, (laughs) it was not that. He asked her to view his naked body right before it was rolled into the cremation chamber just so she could make sure that nobody had cut off his dick. This and is kept real. it for themselves. It sounds like it was about to fall off. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Apparently, and this is corroborated by both Don and Sharon, John had a lifelong fear of someone cutting off his cock after his death God. as a keepsake, sideshow, or medical curiosity. They like they did with Rasputin's or, penis. They thought they did. Well, thought they did. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, they should have gave it its own coffin. Yeah. <laughs> that would be incredible. <laughs> its own tombstone. <laughs> that was the only part of him that was successful. <laughs> his penis was the only thing that was that worked in any way, shape, or form in his life. It's the only thing that made people happy. Yep. Everything else was awful. But nobody touched the thing. And after the cremation, John's ashes were scattered out over the ocean. As far as Eddie Nash went, he and Gregory Dowles were both tried in 1988 for the Wonderland murders based on Scott Thorson's testimony, just six months after John's death. Both men, however, were found not guilty, which technically makes the Wonderland murders an open case to this day. That's one of the only cases we've ever covered. That has a fucking no, we, this is an unsolved case, technically, even though technically. we kind of know what's going on. But We definitely know what happened. But yeah. this whole fucking story is just so fucking, I'm so glad it's, again, I'm so glad it's not me. That's what the fucking, the detective, uh, what is it, um, Lang, he said like, yeah, people fucking always act like these Wonderland murders is like some fucking big mystery, like it's aliens, a Bigfoot, or some <laughs> shit like that. We know fucking did it. We know fucking did it was fucking Eddie Nash. <laughs> so mad about it. Actually, I was looking at some of some of this evidence. What if it's the Loch Ness monster? <laughs> yeah, out of here, Detective Creepy. <laughs> Imagine the size of Dial's gloves. They were baseball mitts. Garbage packs. Garbage (laughs) packs. Well, thank you so much, Eddie. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this shit. Thank Thank you you guys so much for listening. This has been it. We did it. John Holmes and the Wonderland Murders. We're coming back next week with another fucking true crime series, which we're super excited about. Yeah, more like historical true crime, but like like recent history. We're going back to the 70s for this shit. Can't fucking wait. This has been something that we've been waiting to do for a long time. Yes. Yes. Very excited for it. Anything else? Murderfist show. Right. Will you please come check out Murderfist? We are in Los Angeles, Dynasty Typewriter, September 22nd and 23rd. Right now, I believe the 23rd still got tickets. The 22nd's got tickets. 23rd sold out. Just check it out. Dynasty Typewriter, Los Angeles, 20 years in the making. 20 fucking years. It is gonna, you're gonna see a bunch of dudes That's not it. used to fucking slam dancing anymore doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we have to all stretch and we have to do all. We gotta really take care of ourselves. My poor knees. Today. Yes. Yeah, you want me to do the work. I do. I don't think it's going to happen, but Come I on. might try it. Come I on. I don't it, want you to. It is the last sketch, maybe. So maybe even if I hurt myself, the show's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know yeah, the show's over. Yeah. Then we'll just call <laughs> The show's over, but life continues. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a dumb <laughs> shadow of a life. We still want you around. Uh, no Dogs in Space, Amadol 2 Part 2 is out this week. Uh, we continue on our series in Experimental Rock. We're going to be talking about one of the fucking coolest, heaviest, hardest psychedelic albums ever put out, Yeti. It's fucking Eddie. You gotta fucking listen to Yeti. Please. You're gonna yeah, love, love it. You're gonna love it. I love Yeti. all things Yeti. Yeah. The coolers, really... the fucking. The everything. 
Uh, and of course, check out the uh, No Dogs in Space live stream every other Monday uh, on uh, twitch.tv slash last podcast network. And check out all our new programming. We got it all over. We're going to have stuff next week. We're Tears of the Clowns coming back. Good puds. Doing a bunch of shit. We're, we're really excited. And of course, the, the brighter, brighter Side. side. Yeah. The Brighter Side. One of the greatest podcasts about positivity you'll ever fucking hear. It's better than Michelle Obama's fucking positivity yeah, I podcast. Like, I like I'll this. tell you, this, this bitch comes from my game. <laughs> I I'm like- the positivity podcast guy. Michelle Obama tries to step in my fucking ring. This is a good way She's to end. She's going down. I'm really happy. This is perfect. <laughs> I'm always glad we end with a good old-fashioned anti-Michelle Obama scream. It's great. Yeah, it's great. All right. But yep. brighter side with Amber Nelson. Please <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bye, everybody. Bye. Hail Gene. Hail Satan. Mm. Hail yourselves. Hail yeah, me. Thank right, you. Sure. Thank you for that. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, sure. You can do it. Yeah. yeah. I'd like you to. Bye. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.